Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word and just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so last week we covered Hannah praying for a baby, Eli thinking that she was drunk because he didn't hear her words and just saw her mouth moving. And then he told her that your, your, your prayer will be answered and, and uh, go in peace. And then she went away and, and started eating and wasn't sad anymore because she totally believed the word from the prophet. So, 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting at verse 19. And they arose up in the early morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to the offer unto the Lord, the yearly sacrifice and his vows. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him, and he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. And Elkanah said, her husband said unto her, Do what seems good to you, tarry until you have weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until he was weaned, until she weaned him. All right. We saw last time Hannah praying for a son, priest saying that, yes, you're going you're gonna to have your child. And it indicates that this happened very quickly thereafter because it says in the verse 19 that they went up early in that next morning. They worshiped, they made the sacrifices like they did. And this was a yearly sacrifice that the, their family did. And then they went home, and she got pregnant. All right? And it, it, there's no time markers here other than the next one that says the next time he goes to the annual celebration, she's already got the child. All right? So this happened very quickly. You know, within three months of her prayer, she had this child. Now, I think it was a little closer than that, but I can, we can say, yes, within three months, because nine months later, they're getting ready to go, you know, they're ready to go, and she's not going because she's got the baby to take care of. So we see God giving her her answer to her prayer. And, uh, and it really ends up, because remember, before she made this prayer, she was in a very sad state. She wasn't eating food. Uh, she had been brutalized by the other wife, you know, saying that she wasn't worth anything. You know, God's just forsaken you and all these things that... She was saying, so she wasn't even eating, and then she got her, you know, all Samuel, all Eli said is that your prayer is going to be answered, and she took that as the absolute truth and acted on it. And we, like we said last week, how many times do we not act on the word that we get from God? And we've got to be very careful about this, because it's very important when we hear something from God that we act upon it, because God doesn't s sit there and keep telling us over and over in most cases. We think of somebody like Abraham. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of Chaldees. He got to Haran and he stopped. And from everything we can read, he didn't hear from God until he got back on, back on the road to do what he was told to do. Oftentimes, God will do that. And this has been said by many pastors, and I totally agree with them. If you're not hearing from God, go back and try to remember what the last thing you heard him say to do and go do it because he's waiting for you to do what he last told you to do. I've done this times that when I was a manager, I would tell somebody to do something and I would wait for them to do it. 
you know, depending on how urgent it had to be. Then with my kids at times, you know, uh, well, what do you want me to do? The thing I told you to do three days ago. Yeah, yeah that's usually, the, that's exactly the look you got. Uh, what, what, what did you tell me to do three days ago? But you know, we do that to God. God, what is it you want me to do? You haven't talked to me. You haven't talked to me in a while. What, you know, we go, God saying, well, you know, remember, you know, last week, a decade, three decades ago when I told you to do this and you're not doing it yet? You know, and here, Hannah immediately acted on what she was told. I'm going to have my baby? Okay, good, we're going to have the baby. And, apparently, and for everything we read, she got conceived real quick. And um, it said that she conceived, she bare a son and called his name Samuel, which means heard of God, which is what she says, I asked for him of the Lord. Heard as an Yeah, heard. God heard. Uh, so this is, this is the story of Samuel's birth that he was prayed for, he was asked for. And, you know, this is so wonderful that Hannah is going to keep her word with God because remember her prayer was, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. You know, which is kind of a very strange thing, but, you know, God wants that from us all the time. He wants whatever is most precious to us to be given back to him so that it's his and not ours. Abraham was asked to offer up Isaac. Abraham, are you, are you willing to offer up Isaac? And he was. We look at uh, Noah. Noah was told, build this boat and get ready to hide and leave all your friends and stuff behind. Uh, Lot failed his test. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and wouldn't, didn't even want to leave when he was being drugged out of the city. Okay? Uh, he failed his test. And there are plenty of people that failed their test, but how often does God ask for what's most important to us. And he's basically saying, do you have an idol? Is there something in your life that's more important than I am? The book you borrowed about the hearts of fire, many of these women were asked, what are you, are you willing to give up? Whatever it was, in some cases it was their family, their freedom. You know, are you willing to give up whatever's special to you? And God still does that for each one of us today. Will you give up? And it's not necessarily that it's wrong when he asks what you're doing, but he says it's so special to you, are you willing to give it up? And here, Hannah, you know, that was her prayer, and she's going to actually put Samuel in the temple with the, uh, the tabernacle with Eli. All right? She, she's going to follow through with this. And this isn't even something God asked her to do. It's just it was her heart. God, give me what I desire, and then I will give it back to you. She understood this principle. And we see through the scripture, we see many people who give up their desire, and we see people who fail. Lot was one who failed. Jonah is going to be one that fails. He, God says, go preach to Nineveh. And, no, thank you, God. I'm going the other way. And God says, no, I'm going to bring you back this way. Okay? We see this over and over. We see the prophet Jeremiah. God calls him. He recognizes that he's been called. And then he starts getting into so much trouble for speaking for God that finally he says, God, I'm not going to talk for you anymore. Um, and then the next verse says, the word burned in my mouth and I couldn't but talk. Okay. All through, these, all through the scriptures, we see this process of giving up what's, what's special to us. And, you know, and the thing about it is Jesus told the disciples, he goes, 
they said, well, we've given up all, brothers and, and fathers and land, and Jesus told them, you will not give up anything because I will give you more. And that's the greatest thing about this. We're going to see later on, Hannah has more children after she gives up Samuel. You know, we see this uh, over and over. We see Abraham willing to give up Isaac, and then we see the blessings that God pours out on his life. We see somebody like jo uh, Joseph. You know, he really did crave the attention because he was telling his brothers that they were going to bow down to them. You know, he wanted that attention. You know, he didn't voluntarily give it up. But by the same token, he did not grumble and gripe and complain about it as far as we can tell. There's nothing in there that says that he was bitter about his brother selling him into slavery. Probably didn't understand it, but it, he seems to be very positive. He raises to the top of Potiphar's house, and then he gets a false rape charge against him and gets thrown into prison and raises to the, to the, to the uh, height of the prison. You don't do that if all you're doing is grumbling and griping about your lot in life. All right, so it's very obvious he did not. Now, did he fully understand what was going on? No, he's, his brothers are supposed to bow down to him, and now he's stuck in Egypt. <laughs> you know, he's a slave in Egypt. Probably, as far as he's concerned, probably will never see his brothers again, and yet he's got this dream where God says, your brothers are going to bow down to you. And then he sees his brothers later on after he's promoted. You know, and I can almost picture him. He goes, out, okay, well, there they are. Well, there they are bowing. <laughs> you know, uh, we see this over and over again. Saul, who later becomes Paul, you know, he took great pleasure in his training in the biblical knowledge, and yet God said, now are you ready to let the Spirit talk to you, and you're ready to relearn what you've learned? That had to be hard for him. We don't really think about this. Trained by the number one teacher of his day, one of the, one of the strongest people, a rising star in the Jude Judaism and the Sanhedrin, and God calls him and says, okay, now let's take you out in the middle of the desert and we're going to teach you. We're going to teach you all over again. And he had to relearn to be able to apply everything. You know, we want to keep this in mind. You read, we read these different books in the, on the biographies and everything that I recommend. And you watch how God challenges these people. Are you willing to give up your life for what I have for you? And we think about that over and over. That's exactly what they do. They give up things that are precious to them to minister for God. And usually when you first do it, everything looks like it's going bad. But God blesses. He has a good plan in the end. So we want to be careful. We are not to walk by sight. We're to walk by faith. And when God calls us to do something and we step out in faith, it really looks like everything's going to fall apart. But God has a plan as long as we're walking in his truth. And Hannah's going to do this. And she's a great example of walking in. God, I want this son, but I'm going to give him back to you. And there was no promise that she was going to get other children. As far as she knew, she was giving up the only child she's going to have to live with Eli. And then God blesses her. All right? And that usually is what's going to happen to us. We're going to give up something thinking it's all that we have. We're giving up our, our dream, our, our hopes. And then God blesses later on. And what that blessing will be, I don't know. It's not always more of what you gave up, but God's got a blessing. And she's got this blessing coming, coming from them. Verse 21, And the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer unto the Lord the, the yearly sacrifice and his vow. So this is where we know we've gone a year from the time that she made her prayer. And this is why sometime we don't, we're not told how old the child is at this point. 
He's still he's still uh, being uh, breastfed, but that's not a big deal because it, in that day and age, you, they would breastfeed their child from anywhere from two to five years old. All right, uh, much longer than we do in our day and age. Uh, so we don't know how far and how long it is that she's going to skip out on these annual, annual uh, days, long enough for for Samuel to be taught. All right, he's he's seems to be able to talk and stuff when he's going. She's not she's not delivering an infant <laughs> to Eli, and basically bringing I think an uh, an infant. I think a toddler. I think she's probably waiting two to three years at least before he goes to be dedicated to God, which gives her an opportunity to give him the teachings from the, from the scriptures. Uh, we, see things like, we see things like that uh, in Joseph, sold into slavery at 17, well indoctrinated into God's word. You see Daniel. You know, Daniel, as far as we know, was only 13 or 14 when he was taken into, into captivity in Babylon. And look how strong he was in the word of God and stayed that way. You know, we need to really be careful because so many times people will think, well, it's only a teenager, it's only a child, you know. No, we need to do our job and teach those people, those young people, God's word so that if things go crazy, they're ready to serve God. And it's an amazing thing when you read some of these stories of persecution, how even the children had to go through this persecution and, and stand up for what God told them to stand up for. And we see this over and over. And this is one of the things that right now, God has put the persecution of the church on my heart very heavy because I really think we're close to suffering persecution. We need to be ready as adults, but if there's children in our lives, we need to make sure the children are ready for the persecution that's coming because there's going to be issues coming along and the children will not be left aside. They need to stand for God and, and go forward. All right, so Hannah said uh, in verse 22, but Hannah went not up, with, she said to her husband, I cannot go up until, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him up that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So here's where we know that it's going to be about somewhere between two to five years that she's going to keep this child under their normal practices. Now, she said weaned, and I'm sure she's been a woman of her word up till now. I think that when she stopped breastfeeding, she took him to the, tem to the tabernacle. <laughs> she promised she was going to do it. She got the child, and now she's going to take him. I don't think that she was lying to her husband at that point. I think as soon as, as, soon as he was weaned, she, uh, okay, uh, Elkanah, I got to go up to, I got to go to the temple. <laughs> I got to go to the tabernacle. And Elkanah, her husband, said, and do what seems you good. Tarry until you have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until, he until she weaned him. Elkanah seems to be very righteous in himself. He's going every year. He's taking his family up there. And, you know, he probably doesn't understand this whole thing with Hannah. Okay, Hannah, you got what you've always wanted. Now you're going to go give this baby to the, to the Lord. And, you know, it probably took him a little bit to understand exactly what was going on. And, you know, she would have told him, you know, well, I asked. And I told God I'd do this if he gave me the baby. So, and he accepted it. But, you know, he's kind of like, well, you know, like most people, people, he's probably going, well, you know, you don't really have to keep this word. You know, this is your baby. You can, you don't have to give it back to God. You know, he's not pushing it, but you kind of, you kind of get that hint. Do what you think is, is right. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're going to get rid of my child. You know, I'm, I didn't have a, I didn't have a say in this. You, you, you prayed and, and said you're giving him to him. So 
I'm going to honor that because of your prayer, but you know, kind of, you can almost read in there that I'd really like to keep this baby. <laughs> you know, it's 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 our baby. You had a hard time getting it, but it, you know, you 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 did you promised God, so go ahead and and do what you need to do. And uh, you know, so we see here this this whole prayer and everything that she goes. Verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought it into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew the bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as my soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by you praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. All right. Verse 24, she weaned him, and she took him to the temple. And this is a pretty good sacrifice. Elkanah is not a poor person by any. She takes three bullocks, an ephah of flour, and a bottle of wine as, as the presents for Eli and the offering that they're going to do. This is not a small offering. Three, three bullocks in and of itself is a, you know, a pretty good offering. And so she's making a major offering to God. And this shows her, shows you how dedicated she is, and Elkanah's letting this happen as well. It's, and you know how she's going to fulfill her word to God. And this is something that is very true. And remember back when we studied the Pentateuch, God says, if you make a vow before him, fulfill your vow. And this is a vow that she's making, and she's bringing the offerings for the fulfillment of the vow. And God is serious. If you make a promise to God, keep it. No matter what it's going to cost you, you keep your promise to God. Otherwise, make no promises to God. And in essence, God is even further, further than that. He says, if you make a vow to anybody or a promise to anybody, keep it, even if it's going to hurt. And this is, happens to many people. They, they say, well, I'm going to go do something on such and such day, and then something really special gets given to them or something. And you know what? I think it's a test from God. Okay, are you going to keep your word, or are you going to do something you really want to do? Unfortunately, most people do the, I really want to do thing, and, and break their vow. Especially if the vow was something they didn't really want to do in the first place. And we've got to be very careful about that. God wants honesty. He wants integrity from his followers. And the tests that he puts out are pretty tough sometimes. <laughs> sure, I'll help you move on such and such day. I just got, I just got tickets to the greatest uh, championship game of the year. Uh, what am I going to do? You know, give my tickets away, what I should be doing, or am I going to help, you know, or am I going to go to the game and say, sorry, go, you know, sorry, I just got this offer, I just can't refuse. Hopefully, we would give the tickets away. Usually, that's not our decision <laughs> that we make. Uh, and usually, it's not that different, you know, that, that big a decision to make. Usually, it's something really simple. Okay, I get to work hard helping you move, or I can go out to dinner with the, with the friends that called us up at the last moment. Okay, dinner sure really sounds good. More, much more exciting than helping this person move all day. So we need to be careful. I don't know why I'm on move, <laughs> moving, but you know, we want to be careful. When we say we're going to do something, we need to go out and accomplish it. Okay, so she brought him up to, up to Shiloh, and it says the child was young, which is why I tend to believe that it was probably four or five years old before she weaned him 
weaned him. So she has been, been a while. I mean, young could mean toddler in this case, so he could still be only two or three. I really do believe, though, that he's going to be closer to three or four, five, because that was their tradition and their customs, and still is in many non-developed lands that they're breastfed until four or five years old. He's not an infant, <laughs> so he's beyond being an infant. All right, and they slew the bullock as a sacrifice, and they brought the child to Eli. All right, so they give their sacrifice, completing of the vow, and they bring the child to Eli. And this is going to be some kind of interesting picture. They're going to bring a child to Eli and say, hey, I'm leaving, we're leaving my child here with you. Now, I don't know what all this is. We know that Eli has two sons. We're going to find out about them in the next chapter. They are not good boys, okay? Uh, they are very bad boys, you know, very bad priests. So, you know, Eli has, either has a wife or has had a wife. And it doesn't, she's never mentioned in any of this story, so she could be gone at this point because his boys are all older. Or he's going to let this child be taken care of by his wife. We don't know, but he, all of a sudden he's being, being handed, he's got grown boys and he's going to be handed somebody who's young enough to be his grandchild. And it says, we're leaving, we're leaving him here. Uh, verse 27, excuse me, 26. And she said, oh, my Lord, she's talking to Eli, as, my soul, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by you here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I have asked of him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord God. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now, I'm going to think about this. Even if Samuel is only two years old, and I think he's probably closer to four, she's coming in after two to four years and saying, Eli, I'm the woman that was praying four years ago. <laughs> Four years ago for the baby, uh, I'm sure she had to remind him that she thought he was drunk. And even then, he probably doesn't remember the event. Uh, it was not a major event to him. Because uh, you know, I don't know how many times he probably told somebody, you know, you know you're, you're drunk, get out of here, you know, you know, stop your drinking. I doubt it was the one and only time that he'd seen somebody quietly praying, even though it was abnormal in the Jewish tradition to pray quietly. He probably had done this so... Can you picture him as he's, as he's been? You know, I'm the one that was praying for this child. Okay, yes, uh, and you are who? <laughs> you know, when did you pray this? <laughs> Her, it is a vivid memory. She prayed for a child. He said you were going to get the child. She gets the child in, in less than a year. To her, every bit of this is very vivid, very strongly ingrained into her mind. I'm sure that when he, she talked to Eli, it was not strongly ingrained into his mind. Okay, all right, uh, yes, uh, Miss Hannah, we see, I see hundreds of people every day praying at the altar. Where, when, when, when was this? You know, why should I remember this? Was this a common practice? I don't know how common, we see it in other places in the scripture. I don't know how common it was, but it was something that could be done. Part of it was dedication because in their, in their mindset, the tabernacle is where God dwelt for the Jews. Okay, because he said it was going to dwell in, at the tabernacle. It really doesn't have anything to do with the Nazarite vow. Not this one. Now, she did say that she would not cut his hair and he would not cut his hair 
for his entirety of his life, which tends to mean that she was raising him as a Nazarite. But the only thing she mentioned was hair. She didn't talk about anything else. And the Nazarite vow did not mean that you took your, <laughs> took your, your life and, and put it in the temple. It was a short-term vow, usually. Even though we see people that it was their life vow, uh, we see, saw Samson, where he was to be a Nazarite from birth, and supposed to have been that way for his entire life, and he didn't keep his, he didn't keep his vows. There's something behind her and the long hair thing. Um, I think that she was saying he's going to be a Nazarite. I'm going to raise him as a Nazarite, I think is what she was saying with the long hair. Because long, the scriptures say before that, long hair on a man is an abomination. So to make it very interesting, when you make Nazarite vow, you were to not shave, not cut your hair. So it was, you know, it's one of those things that makes a kind of an interesting dilemma on this, you know, because you've got the one that says long hair is bad, and yet God says, okay, you're a Nazarite. But again, Nazarites were not supposed to take a vow for life. And, the, and remember, when they ended their Nazarite vow, they did it by making an offering and shaving, the, shaving all their hair off. So, I don't know. She indicated that she was going to raise him what indicates as a Nazarite. And the length of the vow was strictly up to the individual. individual. Right. It was a vow before God, one of the many vows they could take. And at the end of the vow, you made an offering. And the Nazarite just had a very strong symbol. They had long hair and didn't, didn't uh, eat anything made of the grape or drink anything made of grape, from the grape. Uh, again, we don't, it doesn't say Nazarite, but it did say she was raising him that a razor would not cut his hair. So it indicates that he was probably a Nazarite, but it doesn't state it directly. Um, but she brings him to the temple and basically says, here is this child, and she remind, tries to remind Eli who she is. And in verse 27, this is a child that I prayed for, uh, and God has given me an answer. This is her testimony. God has answered my prayer. And this is the thing I want to share with us so often. Do we get excited when God answers our prayers and talk to other people about the answers to prayers? And this is one of the things I hope for our church that we're going to see even more and more of. What has God shown you in the scripture? Tell people, share it with people. When God answers prayers, share it with them. Because we need that testimony from people. Now, a lot of people are going to go and hear you, oh, yeah, well, you, you're so lucky, you're so fortunate. Big deal, leave them alone. Yeah. And I've shared with you, I used to love to go in when I was working as a restaurant manager and tell people all about what God was doing. You know what God did for me yesterday? And they could just see in their eyes, okay, he's going to give glory to God for some good circumstance in his life again. And but it brought people's in minds to God. You know, we need to do that. I, I shared with you in Baltimore, we went to a church where if two or three of the church members met at a grocery store, they'd start talking about the Bible and end up with a Bible, story right, a Bible study right in the middle of the, of the aisles. You know, not long necessarily, but let me just tell you what God has shared with me. And then, you know, and then the other person would share with you. And then, you know, wouldn't that be great if when you met another Christian, that's what you did each time? You talked about what the prayer was. You talked about what God has shown you in the scriptures. You know, you know what God did yesterday? I was reading my Bible, and he gave me this verse, and man, I met this person, and it was just what I needed for, for dealing with them, and, and you just share these things. How real and alive will God be if you spend your time talking about how he's answering your questions? What kind of, what would it do to your faith to have somebody come up to you and you go, you know what? God answered someone to my prayer yesterday, and this is how he did it. 
You can build your own faith up and go on. You might even say, God, I need, I need some of that. <laughs> you know, God, I, wanna, I, I want my prayers answered. Now, to get that, you have to answer, ask prayer, prayers that, can be answered, that you know have been answered. God, would you bless me tomorrow? Well, you woke up in the morning. You were blessed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you want something more specific? Uh, you, having said that, that, we don't want to go so specific because there's the name and the claimants that will go, God, I want a, a red Mustang, you know, Ford, you know, four door with, you know, four on the floor with a big V. You know, yeah. you can go too far the other direction too because, and then you start getting presumptuous on your prayer. So be careful. There's a fine line between, but make sure your prayer is something that's valid and he's going to be lifted up from. We think of George Mueller and I love the story of him praying when there's nothing for breakfast and he's saying, thank God, thank you God for the food. They were getting ready to eat and in comes the food. Okay. Now he didn't tell God, thank you God for the, for the eggs and bacon we're about to eat and the toast, you know, because he didn't get eggs and bacon and toast. He got milk and bread. All right. But that was breakfast. So we want to be careful Specific enough in prayers to know that they've been answered, but not so specific that we're trying to make God do what we want to be done. And this is something that's very important for us. Um, we were talking earlier, you know, about um, the hiding place. Corey Tenboom and her sister, they're coming into the concentration camp. They've been managed to get a Bible, and they're, and they're being strip searched, literally, and they have no place to put the Bible, and they pray, God, don't let them see this Bible, and, and she's wearing it on a bag around her neck, and nobody sees it. Okay? Um, all kinds of things that God can do that are just so important for us. Uh, you know, when we give our prayer, God, whatever this might be, I'm willing to surrender one of the people in the book I just got done, she said, God, I love my family. My family's very special to me, but God, if you want my family, they're yours. Little did she know that three, you know, two of her children were going to be killed and her, and her daughter was going to go into arrest with her and be put into labor. You know, uh, you know, but she'd already been prepared. God had prepared her heart to be ready to sacrifice what's most, most precious to her. You know, and when God starts doing this, he'll take away what's precious to you one way or another when it's time for you to learn the lesson. It's much easier to say, God, I'm, help me be willing to give it up yes. than God, no, you can't have. You can't have this, God. I, I won't let it go. And that's when you're going to get into trouble if you try to hold on too tight. In verse, <laughs> Lord, help me be ready to give it up. <laughs> Because anything that's going to be an idol to him, he's going to take anyway. So you're much better off saying, God, help me get my heart right to give this up. Because he's going to take your idols away. And it's much easier and, and more fun if you give it freely rather than him breaking your fingers to take it from you. <laughs> Verse 28, therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Actually, I'm giving, I'm giving him, but technically, she was still his mom, and she was going to keep being his mom. We're going to find out later on. You know, she brings a yearly garment. When she comes there, she brings him a new robe every year and, and brings him supplies. She has not abandoned him. Okay? Uh, she is not, she's not uh, saying, I'm giving him away. I'm never going to see him again. She's lovingly taking care of him every year. 
She's still, her, still his mom. He is just, in, in her mind, he is lent to God. God, as long as you want him, he's yours. And maybe you'll give him back to me at some point, but right now he's yours, and as long as you want him, he's yours. And then it says, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, I am not sure who the he is in this point. I do not know if they're talking about Eli or if they're talking about Samuel. Because she's talking to Samuel, but she's ta uh, talking about Samuel, but she's talking to Eli. I have a feeling that it's Samuel. Like Samuel. I think it's Samuel. It like but there's no indication there. He, without a precedent, doesn't really tell us who it is. But I would hope that it's Samuel. But you know, what a preciousness thing that would be if a three, four, five-year-old is ready to worship God. And I know that can happen. Believe me, I've seen it. I've seen little children that are so in love with God that they literally worship God. I've seen teenagers and adults that aren't ready to worship God, but I've, I've seen it. I know at 10 years old, I was worshiping God. Okay, that's a little bit older than he is at this point, but it is possible. I've heard the testimony of many people who said I got saved at three years old, and they know they got saved at three years old. Okay, and they've been following God for their life. So this is possible that it's Samuel. Oh, it's in Lynn's book, it says, and they worship the Lord, which is possible. You know. Yeah. And the King James says he, and I didn't look it up to see if it's supposed to be he or they. That's the first word I didn't look up. One way or the other, somebody's worshiping God. One or more, you know, Hannah's probably worshiping God, Eli's probably worshiping God, and it looks like sure you know, Samuel's worshiping God. And it may be all of them, so they might be the correct yeah. translation of that. Uh, Eli, you would hope, would be worshiping God. He's the priest. <laughs> uh, you know, Hannah's supposed to be worshiping God. Elkanah's supposed to be worshiping God. That's why they came. Uh, but, you know, if really, if this is Samuel, it really shows that they have trained him up well. And he's made a commitment to God himself at this point, which is quite possible. Yeah. Very possible that he has made his commitment to God as well, even at an early age. Because God is more than able to do it. All right, chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I have rejoiced in your salvation. There is none holy as the Lord and there is none but beside you. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth for the Lord is God of knowledge and by him affections, actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken and they that stumble are girded with strength. They that were filled full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven, and she hath many children, is waxed feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He, he brings down to the grave and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and, and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among the princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillar of the Pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep his feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. All right. This 
prayer is very much aimed at <laughs> her rival wife. Uh, because if you look at it closely and remember the story, this is the person who has given her a hard time about not having any children. And uh, talking about how she's blessed. So Hannah says, my, my heart rejoiced in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the, in, in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over my enemies because I have rejoiced in your salvation. So it says my horn. Horn in this case is strength. Power, strength. Okay. She has been feeling weeble. <laughs> Weeble, uh, feeble and weak up to this point in time, you know, because she hasn't had a child, and it's a double, a double thing because in that custom, if you did not have a child as a wife, there was something wrong with you. Okay, and that was the way they looked at it. So in her mind, she's already got problems that something's wrong with her. You know, and she's probably racking her brain. God, where have I sinned? What have I done wrong? Why am Why am I not having this child? And then she's got. Uh, Penina reminding her that something's wrong and that I've got all these children, you don't have any children, we have the same husband, there must be something wrong with you because I have children and you don't. Okay, and giving her a really hard time teasing her about it, you know, saying, you know, well, maybe he doesn't love you enough, he's not trying hard enough with you or you've done something really bad. You know, she's really laying it on. And so Hannah's felt powerless and remember that just before she prayed for Samuel, you know, Elkanah was going, you know, what's wrong with you? You need to eat. You know, aren't I more precious than seven sons? You know, trying to encourage her, and I'm sure it didn't encourage her at all. You know, she wants a son, and he's saying, well, aren't I special enough to be, be, be better than a son? And from his perspective, the answer should have been yes. <laughs> uh, from a woman wanting to be a mother, the answer is no. <laughs> you know, I love you. I love you deeply, but I want this child. I want to... I want, I want this child so I can be lifted up from this curse. Uh, so she says, my horn, my strength has been exalted. I've got this child now. And uh, he says, my mouth is enlarged over my enemies. I don't think she was quiet. <laughs> she was not quiet to her. I got my baby. Uh, you know, I'm not cursed. You know, she was, you know. In, in one sense, I hate to think of it like this, but this is what she says. That, you know, my mouth has been enlarged. I can now boast. And I'm sure she boasted. I've got this baby. I am not, I am not worthless. I am not cursed by God. You know, she was giving it back. <laughs> and obviously we know one thing about Hannah because we see it. Hannah is the one that Elkanah loves more than the one given him in his childhood because he's given her a double portion of everything that they get, and he's saying, you know, aren't I special enough? I should be, you know, I love you so much, you know, I should be special enough to you, both these kids, you know. He's trying to be very loving and kind to her and encouraging her, that, but we know that that probably did not go over very well. Um, so she's, and, and then she says, because I have rejoiced in your salvation. She has rejoiced in God, his salvation, his care, his rescue. You know, When he's given to Eli, because we're going to see that they went to worship, they went and they did their worship at the end of her prayer. So she's still in front of Eli at this point. She should have been bragging the day the baby was born. Well, I'm sure she was to, uh, to uh, Penina at that point. I've got my baby. I've got my baby. <laughs> I'm, I, I am not. You know, look at this. I prayed for him and I got my baby. I'm not cursed. 
Here I think she's just she's giving praise to God. You know, kind of backhand backhand toward <laughs> Veninna, but you know, she's giving praise to God. And she says, I got this because I rejoiced in your salvation, God. We need to be so careful that we learn to just rest in God. Because we strive so often to make things happen. Make things happen. Whether and they may be good things that we're striving hard to make happen. God, I really want to learn to love. Just I'm gonna work on it, I'm gonna work on it, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna I'm gonna really strive to make it work. And we keep failing and failing and failing because God is saying, I just want you to rest. The book of Hebrews is all about resting in Christ. Okay? We need to learn to just be able to rest. And we've said this so many times. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we are when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, indwells us, and he changes our flesh over time to be spiritual beings. My greatest increases in my life have been just letting God do the change. Okay, God, don't know how this is going to happen, but you want it, I want it, you make it happen. And this is something I've said so often. When people, well, I'm trying to do what's right. And I'll say, quit trying and just rest in God and let him fix it. You know, God doesn't want us doing it in our own strength because if we're doing it in our own strength, it's the flesh. And we can discipline our flesh. We can use a whip and a chair and beat it into the corner and everything. But any wild beast that's being trained, given an opportunity, will strike out. And the greatest example of that was Siegfried and Roy when he forgot that he was in the cage with a wild animal, turned his back for just a moment, and was mauled. Okay? He'd been in that cage hundreds of times, thousands of times. He'd been raising that animal. But the, any wild animal, given a moment, will strike. Even our domesticated dogs and cats, given the right conditions and the right evidence, will revert back to their natural state. You know, you want to take something away that they really want, they're going to bite. Okay? Because that's what they do. They're, they're, they are an animal. And we got to keep this in mind. The flesh is an animal that we might be able to beat into submission for a period of time, but given an opportunity, it will come roaring back with vengeance. This is why we are to rest in Christ and let him crucify our flesh and change us. Now, does that mean we do nothing whatsoever? We just, okay, God, when you supernaturally dump this on my head, I'll be changed. No, we're going to study his word. We'll pray. We will ask God to help us prepare to make these changes. Just as we said, we ask God to help me be willing to sacrifice whatever is most special in my life because he's going to ask for it. It's only a matter of time before he's going to say, this, this is so important to you, it's starting to become an idol. I want you to give it up. And we'll usually we'll fight him tooth and nail over it. And, you know, sometimes we do it right, <laughs> and we give it up. And here she's saying, I, I rejoiced in you, God. There's two. There's none holy as the Lord. There is none beside you. Neither is, is there any rock like our God. She's giving him praise, adoration, you know, speaking up and saying, God, this is who you are. God, there's nobody like you. You're, you're holy. There's nobody like you, and you are the rock. You know, there's none other rock. And we've talked about this. God is our rock. We build our life upon that rock. Jesus said that we were to build our life either on the rock of, the, of him or shifting sand of the, of the human life. 
You know, you know, if you think about it, it's much easier to build a building in, in sand. You can lay a foundation in sand. It won't hold, but you can lay a foundation real easy in sand. Try to lay your foundation on a rock. It's a lot of hard work to put a foundation on rock. And yet, once you get it there, it stays. And God is the one that does the building. He says, come on, come on the rock, and I'll get you a nice, stable foundation. And when storms come, you want to be on that rock. You want to have a good foundation. And, you know, when I was in Sacramento, I, I was going to school, and I watched them spend about three years laying the foundation for this big, tall building. And they dug, and they drilled, 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 and then they filled it with cement for their footers. And I don't know how far those footers went down, but it was, you know, a long time that they had dug these holes, and then they filled them back up. Once they, once they got done with the foundation and the footers, the building went up in no time at all. Okay. Our life is to be the same way. It may take us a long time to put our foundation on God. A lot of time learning the word, studying the word, to get a good foundation. But then we're going to have the trials. And we're going to have those trials come, and God says, okay, is your, are, you, are you on the right foundation? And Hannah's saying, my foundation is God. Verse 3, talk no more exceedingly proud, nor let... Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And you know this is directed straight at Peninnah. Uh, you, know, you, you were being proud, you were being arrogant. Okay, God knows. Mm -hmm. God knows, and he, is, he has weighed the actions. I have, been, I have been a woman of integrity. I have kept, kept his word. And I love this. And God is, and the Lord is a God of knowledge. God knows all things that are going to happen. Okay? And we've got to keep this in mind. You know, sometimes we kind of forget. You know, when God puts something rough in our life, he knows what's coming down the road, knows why we're going through whatever it is we're going through. He knows that when I get past this test, it is to help me somewhere down in the, in the next stage of my life. And again, we go to the quote that I quote often and we put up about two or three years ago. If I knew everything there was to know, I would choose God's plan. Okay? If I know what's going to happen 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, I, and the, what I'm going through today will help then, I would say yes. If I knew that two months down the road this was going to help me, I'd say yes. Even if it brings me close to death, and I know that God has a reason for it, I'm going to say yes. All right? If I'm going to go through really hardship just so others can be drawn to God, is it worth it? I would hope so. I would say yes. The problem is when we're in the middle of the trial, we don't usually think about who might be drawn to God by what we're going through. And usually we struggle with it. God, I just can't see how this is going to be any good for me. I don't like being in pain, God. I'm on my deathbed, I think. You know, how can this be good? And God says, There's, I've got a reason for it. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And we've got to understand, he's got a good plan. You know, even if he takes us home, that's a good plan because we get to go home. Hopefully on earth, somebody will be blessed as well. But you know, we'll be blessed. Death is the doorway to, to heaven. And we leave this body and we enter into God's presence. There's nothing hard about death. And yet we'll fight tooth and nail not to die. 
And I don't say go around and get killed, but just be aware that death for a Christian is a blessing. And we've got to keep that in mind. Martyrs, when they die peacefully for God, have led others to follow in, in their steps. Because they look at them and say, they've given up the, everything and they're not terrified. What was that last part? I said, if, if I knew everything that God knows, I would... If I knew everything, I would choose God's plan. Oh, I would choose God's plan. All right. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumble, stumble are girded with strength. They that were full have hired themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many sons is waxed feeble. <laughs> Again, she's going, you know, all right, the, the person with the weapons is, is defeated. The one who didn't have anything is raised up. Uh, you know, hey, the person who had lots of kids is not having, now I've got... Uh, a kid, even though she seems to believe that she's going to have more. <laughs> and she does. Because uh, at this point, I don't know that she would have had any more kids at this point. It's possible. Uh, I don't think she had seven at this point. That'd be a lot of kids in, in uh, three to five years. <laughs> so, but uh, we see, and uh, the person who had nothing is, uh, the person that had many children is waxed feeble. <laughs> You know, she has nothing more to say. Uh, God kills and he brings alive and makes alive. He bends down to the grave and he brings it up. I mean, her picture of God is one that says God's got a plan. If somebody is proud and arrogant, he's going to bring them down. If they're humble, he lifts them up and exalts them. And that's exactly what the scriptures say over and over again. Uh, the, the fall comes before, uh, pride comes before the fall. Get it in the right order. You know, some, somebody gets proud and arrogant, God's going to put them in their place. And the humble, he exalts. The, the weak, he strengthens. And this is so important. God always strengthens us when we rest in him. And there's an old statement, and it's been said many times, God doesn't call the strong, he, uh, he but he prepares the weak. If God's given a call for you, he's going to prepare you. And I've seen this over and over. I've seen people doing things, and you look at them and going, you're going to do what? <laughs> you know, you're going to be teaching a Bible study? I haven't even heard you hardly talk about the Bible. You know, and soon enough, you know, they're teaching a Bible study or, you know, or a Sunday school class or something. You know, God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. And usually that is very true. He does not want to use somebody in their strength. Why? Because if they're really strong in there, they'll start saying, look what I've done. Okay, when he calls the people who cannot do something and he has to give them the strength, it's like, look what God has done in, with me. And you're very humbled by it. Wow, God, I never would have known I could do this. And wow, this is so special. And it's all because of you, God. And so very rarely does he call somebody who's got strengths in some area because it's too easy for them to get a, look what I've done, look what I'm doing. Verse 7, the Lord makes poor, he makes rich, he brings low, and he lifts up. He raises, the, he raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among the princes, to make them inherit the thrones of glory, the pillars of the earth of the Lord's, and he has set the world upon him. In other words, he raises up. You know, she's feeling pretty proud at this moment herself. <laughs> I've got my child. <laughs> I've got my child, and I, I am been lifted up. And I'm going to you know, be so special 
Verse 9, he will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. Again, we're looking at this, you know, God, you, you, the strong person was brought down, you, but you kept my feet. I've been following you. I've been seeking you. And then I, I kind of love this. You know, it says, by strength, no man shall prevail. We cannot do anything for God in our own strength. No, nothing done in the flesh will stand for God. When we as Christians stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, he will judge our works. The wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt up. The gold, silver, and precious stones will stay. What are wood, hay, and stubble? Well, stubble is pretty worthless. It's not good for anything. Hay is somewhat good. You know, you can feed animals with it. You can do things with hay. Wood is pretty substantial, okay? Wood is those times when you do something that's really good for God, but you do it in your own strength. For many pastors, because we're expected to preach every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and whatever else, we, there'll be times when we, ha we are producing wood. Now, the people who receive it might be getting silver and gold out of it, but we're just going through the motions and doing it by the flesh. And there's times when we do the same thing in our lives. We do things that are good things. You know, nothing wrong with doing them, but it's just wood. Our flesh did it. It wasn't done through Jesus. And when we get to heaven, we, we go to the Bema seat, those good things that we did in our flesh will be burnt up. And says, nope, that doesn't count. No flesh is going to stand before God. Nothing done in the flesh is going to stand before God. And here she's acknowledging, nothing, no strength of man will stand before God. And then she ends it with, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of the heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. All right, so she's getting here to the very end. God, you will, you will take out those who are against you. You're going to take out those who are walking in the flesh. And the only thing we know about Penuah is she had lots of kids and she teased Hannah. There doesn't appear to be a much righteous woman there. Hannah's description of her in this prayer tells us that she didn't think she was very righteous. But he says, but she says, God will give strength to the king. God will, and there's not even a king yet. You, can, you might notice that there's no king in Israel at this time. And she says, God's going to give strength to the king. And he's going to exalt the horn of his anointed, the strength and power of his anointed. So she's looking at all of this and her prayer, kind of a bragging prayer. I'm not sure that this is really <laughs> the greatest prayer. To, if you wouldn't want to pattern all your prayers after this. Yeah, a little bit of overkill with it. Uh, she's been thinking a couple years for this prayer. Uh, but, you know, I think it's also intent from the heart. God, you've blessed me, and I'm glad you've blessed me, and you brought that person who was my adversary down. You see a little bit of this idea of a precatory prayer. God, you got that person. You got them. You know, David does a lot of precatory prayers. God, go get my enemies. I'm not sure that precatory prayers are good prayers to be praying. But we see a hint of this. And it's almost like, okay, God, you've blessed me. Now go get her. <laughs> you know, make sure. And she might already be down because she already has a husband that loves Hannah more than loves Penina. And now Hannah has the baby. So now she's going to be loved even more. So there's a lot of Penina has fallen from her place. And if she, you know, and apparently she wasn't that righteous to begin with. You know, giving Hannah a hard time about not having a baby is not something that would 
would hopefully be done by a righteous person. Now, we, we all know that it is also true that we as Christians can give people a hard time and, and misbehave as well. So I'm not saying that she wasn't, but what we see of her and what we see in this prayer, at least Hannah's perception of her, was that she wasn't a righteous person. Okay, God's going, go get her. She was arrogant, proud, you know, made my life miserable. God, go get her. Bring her, bring her low. And these are, I think one thing about this type of prayer is we need to be careful because God might just get us in return yeah. because, of our, uh, because of our arrogant attitude at that point in time. And I, I think Hannah needed to be careful at this point. She's so happy and so down on Penina that she probably had some payments from God to, for her attitude toward it. Uh, we see that she's going to be blessed. You know, nothing negative about that, but you know, be very careful. When you go and, and ask God to go get somebody, be very careful because you might be looking at getting him turned on you as well to say, okay, you wanted me to get that person? Let me get a few places in your life taken care of. He's going to do it anyway, but <laughs> don't give him a reason to want to do it more than, more than, more than not. So we looked at her prayer. We looked at her giving uh, Samuel to Eli, and we're going to close, and close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, help us to stay resting in you. Lord, to see your strength. Help us to see all that you've done. And help us to be willing to give up our idols, our desires to you, so that we don't have to have our hands pried out to open up. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.